0: Greetings and welcome to another different church podcast. My name is Jarrett, and I hope you are having an awesome day. I'm recording this at 1030 on a Sunday night. Uh, Today was such a really awesomely cool, stupendously amazing day. You might think I'm overselling it, but I'm not. Today was a great day. We had a great crowd at church today. It's so cool to see just a bunch of people excited about what we're up to and just kind of trusting us with the type of church that we're trying to build and so i just want to say a huge thank you to everybody who was there um and a huge thank you to everybody who continues to listen to these podcasts um it's just it's it's amazing um to know that you know this is some dream we had a couple years ago and here we are actually like making it happen and people care it just it means the world so thank you so much Um, Today was also a really good day because the band was on fire. We, the past couple weeks, have been doing kind of like an acoustic chill sort of thing, which is great, I love doing that, but it just makes whenever you go back to a full band sound that much more awesome. So we did that today. We had uh, Gianna leading and playing acoustic. We had uh, Peter on lead guitar. We had Noel on ukulele, trombone, and background vocals dave was back on drums after being out for a couple weeks we had hannah singing background vocals and we had natalie on bass and it was awesome called god our mother by the liturgists if you aren't interested in listening to the song just fast forward about four minutes and you will hear hannah otherwise enjoy the song
1: god our father giver of daily bread from
2: Last week, we talked about what is truth, just a small topic for like 20 minutes on a Sunday morning. Um, today, we are going to think about the common Christian phrase, speaking the truth in love. Has anyone heard this phrase before or has been said to you? Okay, yes, most of you. <laughs> um, we're kind of continuing last week's message. So if, this, if you want to dive deeper into this topic, I highly recommend this book. It is Love Matters More. How Fighting to Be Right Keeps Us from Loving Like Jesus by Jared Bias. Um, Most of what we're going to talk about today comes from this book. But here is the fundamental baseline question we're going to talk about today. Is the life of faith about being right? Or is it about loving people no matter what? Now, from what I gathered as a kid, speaking the truth in love uh, was about telling the truth and, you know, hopefully doing so in a loving way spoiler alert, not usually in a loving way. (laughs) Like many of you have been on the receiving end of these conversations meant to help you in your life, right? Or perhaps maybe we have made some misguided attempts to start these conversations with other people. Um, And in the Bible, I don't see this tension between truth and love. Like the highest form of truth is wisdom and the highest form of wisdom is love. And Jesus is about the way we live our lives and not the facts in our heads. I feel like modern church culture has bought into this vending machine reality or like metaphor about faith and facts. Like if we, if we can just get all the facts straight, the world will be better. The world will be right. The real problem is we just don't know enough. That's what this theory says. If we could just put the money in the machine and push the right buttons, then we'll get the snack, a better world every time. It's mechanical. But actually, that's not how anything works. If you're a human, you probably know this. Uh, Hopefully, you're all human. Do we have any robots in the audience? (laughs) Robots are also welcome here. (laughs) Christianity is about living a life of love and not getting the facts right. Okay, so 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8, probably most of you have heard this verse. It says, for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Into goodness, knowledge. Into knowledge, self-control. Into self-control, perseverance. Into perseverance, godliness. Into godliness, mutual affection. Into mutual affection, love. So nice. Here's what we normally do with this verse. We're like, oh, I see that it says that. But what I would love more is if it said this. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Into goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, more knowledge. And to more knowledge, even more knowledge. And then to even more knowledge, mastery of the Bible. And to mastery of the Bible, control. And to control, teaching everyone the Bible exactly as you see it, using your superior intellect. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, what is climactic, like what is the highest point on this list? Love. Knowledge is actually like way down. And I love knowledge, don't get me wrong. It is not the pinnacle. Love is actually the pinnacle. Paul argues about this simil- similarly. <sighs> I've had too much caffeine. I can't g- even get a word out. In <laughs> 1 Corinthians 13.1, he says, If I speak in tongues of men or angels, but I don't have any love, then I'm just a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. These three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Maybe we have not fixed our problems we can keep trying it for another five minutes speaking maybe we won't (laughs) can I use this mic alright how about y'all pray for the demons in our sound system it was not making those sounds like we spent like this week during the week we were here working on this it didn't make a sound it was behaving Anyways, okay, speaking the truth in love, this is what this should mean. It should mean we have earned the right to share our opinions and values with other people over time, but this is the kicker, right? If we haven't demonstrated real and tangible love to someone else, we cannot tell the truth no matter what comes out of your mouth. It's impossible. Truth is love. Now, you can give your opinion, which may or may not be factually correct. You can throw facts at people, but if you're not in love with the person in front of you, and I don't mean like in love, I mean like if you have not demonstrated real and tangible love in like practical ways to that person, you're not telling the truth as the, the way the Bible puts it. Somehow we have come to believe that it's our Christian duty to tell people our opinions about their moral decisions. (sighs) So great for us, right? Just like typing out what you stand for is so easy. Loving people, not easy. True love does not say, I told you so. It says, you always have a place here. True love doesn't say, let me tell you my opinion of your choices for the 10th time. It says, you know the difference between right and wrong. I don't control you, I trust you. Like, sometimes getting it right isn't actually about knowing facts, but about humility and respecting other people's opinions. It's about loving people well. And we use, like, the term speaking the truth in love because I think we have this misguided belief that, like, people will change when we tell them they're wrong. Be like, oh, I don't agree with something in your life, so I'm going to tell you you're wrong, and then magically, somehow, that's going to make you change your life? I don't, <laughs> I don't understand. Like, here's a classic example, defenders of this view. If you were about to drink poison, wouldn't you want someone to tell you, oh, no, that's poison, don't drink it? Wouldn't you want them to warn you? Wouldn't it be the most loving thing to tell people, that's poison, don't drink it? Yes. But would it be the most loving thing to tell them again and again and again and again that it's poison, even though they're grown adults and have decided for themselves that it's not poison and have taken that drink many times with no negative consequences? Hmm. That's not loving. That's coercive and disrespectful. We have to respect people's choices. Like, we want people to respect us, we want people to value us and, like, listen to us, and yet, and, you know, I'm not calling y'all out. Like, I'm preaching to the choir, okay? I'm, I have a lot of opinions. Uh, <laughs> like, we, we just want people to just know how we feel. We have this misguided idea that it's our Christian duty to tell people where they're wrong. But usually, actually, what's going on is we're just uncomfortable with someone else's choice, and we confuse that discomfort with our conscience. Like, people can feel our discomfort tangibly even if the words out of our mouth are, I'm just telling you this because I love you. Okay, so what about the people that we truly do love? And we've been a part of their life, and like we have earned the right to share our opinion. Like, how do we tell them our opinion in love? Okay, so key move here. We call it sharing our opinion, not speaking the truth. (laughs) Why? Because, first of all, there is a chance you could be wrong. And like, you could be 100% convinced that this person is doing something that will harm their life, like, indefinitely. It will be the worst decision. And you might actually be wrong. It could be the most life-affirming thing they've ever done. Now, you might be right, but it's still your opinion. The key move. We tell it telling our opinion. Most people that we love and that love us, like, we really do want to hear each other's opinions. Like, we don't want to be duped by our own delusions. Nobody wants to walk around, like, just in a fog, not understanding how the world works. We want to see things as they really are. But the reality is we're just really sensitive. I'm really sensitive. We're all, like, we just have these insecurities because we're human. Like, any information that shows us in a negative light or that feel like, feel like we're being attacked, we can't, we, we're, no. We're instantly like, no, can't listen to you. But telling our opinion in love actually takes a lot more work than people are normally w- willing to put into relationships. So instead of doing that work, we just blurt out our opinion, you know, whenever we feel like it, or whenever emotions are high and it just goes bleh. We just can't, oops, oops mess out there. And what do we always say? I didn't mean it like that,
1: but you did.
2: You did though. (laughs) And then we try to just defend ourselves with these justifications. I'm just telling the truth in love. It's not my fault they can't handle the truth. Or maybe like in our polite culture, we follow our parents' advice. We're like, if you can't say anything nice, Don't say anything at all. Well, does that work in relationship? No, because then you just sit on this thing that makes you uncomfortable and then results in distance. Like, it sounds good in theory, but we just gradually disappear from those relationships because we don't want to do the work of loving people well, and we just disassociate slowly with people who don't think like us or believe like us or act like us. So what do we do? How do we share our opinions with other people? So a couple of things. First of all, you got to know your heart. Like you, we must know ourselves. Um, sometimes we're being a martyr. Like we just really want that badge of like persecuted Christian. Like oh, I really felt led by the Lord to share this with so and so, and they just did not receive that. And we just so we don't care about how we share our opinions because God told you to be jerk. No false. <laughs> it, like, it feels even better when we get like a sympathetic like, pat on our back from our faith friends. They're like, oh yeah, I don't know why. That just, I don't know why they would respond that way to you, sharing some unsolicited advice with them. I don't know why they didn't receive that with open arms. <laughs> so, you know, know your heart. Are we trying to be a martyr? Are we trying to be righteous? It feels very good to convince people that we are right because It helps us stuff down our own self-doubt. And I have found that the more important it is for me to convince someone else that I am right, the more I realize it's me I'm trying to convince. Like when we enter in conversations feeling insecure or like just really wanting to be right, it's not usually gonna end with us loving that other person well. And like this hits me on a personal level because what do I do all day? I think about theology. And so, obviously, I went to seminary. And so, what do you do in seminary? You just argue about God all the time. It's one of my favorite pastimes. <laughs> you want to have a good theology debate? Yes. Sign me up for it. Um, like, we, we, we can kind of get on this mission. It doesn't have to be about theology. It could be about anything. Were we just on a mission to, like, prove to other people that we know stuff worth knowing? We're very smart. And I think there's space for that. Like, with other adults who consent to being in that kind of conversation but arguing with like random people or regular church people because I know more than them and I'm somehow superior is a no-go. I don't get any points, I don't get any gold stars for being like, well, I have the right answer. Let me impart it to you. You're welcome. So we're not going to be a martyr, we're not going to try to be self-righteous, and we're not going to have a savior complex. Who's the savior? Jesus. Not us. It's a good thing. Going into conversations to fix people is just as harmful as going into conversations to be right. And usually, like, we have really pure motives for this one. Like, we truly want to be helpful. Like, we see someone struggling, and we're like, I, I can help you with this. Like, I can tell you what to do. But our need to be helpful often outweighs the other person's need to just be heard to just have a space where they can be. And sometimes we're getting, when we're trying to be, like, be helpful like this, we're trying to get our emotional needs met by being a fixer, instead of meeting the other person's emotional needs by just being there and available. Most of us are really good at telling other people the truth and really bad at telling ourselves the truth. And, um, Jesus, unfortunately, says that this is the problem with the Pharisees. Uh, It's just easier that way, right? It's easier to pretend we have it all together. It's easier to tell people where they are messing up. But that is not walking in truth. That's not being authentic. It's not an excuse to lack empathy and kindness and compassion. Richard Rohr says, like, the truth will set you free, but first it might make you miserable. (laughs) <laughs> when I'm trying to convince someone that I'm right, overvaluing them, maybe it's because I'm uncomfortable with what they're saying. So how do we know if our heart is in the right place? There's actually a long list. You have to meet, meet all of these? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you know? We want what's best for someone truly. We really want them to be like affirmed and like authentic and have the best life and we want them to feel accepted for who they are. We want someone to feel heard. We want someone to know we're sharing our opinion because we love them, but we value our relationship with that person over getting them to agree with our opinion. And we're willing to continue to be in relationship with that person even if they're like, no, I reject that and we respect the choices theirs to make. This is where we struggle, I think. Certainly where I struggle. It's other people's choices. Maybe we struggle with this with friends, right? But I feel like a lot of us struggle with this in family relationships. Like at some point your parents are going to be like, "I don't what do you mean you're not listening to me anymore? You're an adult? And I have to respect your choices as the adult I raised you to be?" Yeah. But that goes both ways, doesn't it? Because we have to be like, oh, my parents are adults, and I don't like what they're doing. I don't like what they're saying, but guess what? They're adults, too, and we have to respect their choices. And that's really hard, but that's the work of being a Christian. That's the work of loving people well when you know your heart is in the right place, like if the relationship matters more to you than anything else, and if you're still going to continue to be in a relationship with that person and continue to respect them, even if they completely disagree with you and reject your opinion, here are some ways you can have the conversation. So first, we have to create conditions for safety. Like if we're really genuinely interested in telling someone our opinion and love, we, we can't just have the right motives. Has anyone ever like harmed you somehow? And they're like, well they meant well. Hmm. Have you ever harmed someone? And you're like, man, that's really not how I meant that. And the other person's like, you, like, seriously hurt my feelings. Like, that is awful. And you're like, no, I didn't mean it. Sorry. (laughs) I didn't mean it like that. We have to create conditions for safety because the other person has to feel safe to even receive what you're saying. This means physically safe, obviously. I hope that goes without saying. But also emotionally safe. If a person feels attacked, they will become defensive. It's a fact of life. <laughs> um, our attempts to share our opinion made that person feel unsafe. Like, we don't get to be mad at them. Like, we perhaps did not set up the scenario correctly. Like, here's a tiny example. Just this past week, I made a comment. It was like a small, insignificant, I thought very funny comment. Um, and the other person stopped what they were doing and gave me this look. If you're listening on the podcast, it was like one of those Ugh, looks. I knew, like instantly, I knew they did not agree with what I said and did not find it funny. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> oh no. Like and instantly, I had my defenses up and I'm not confrontational. So I was like looking for a way out of that conversation before it even started. Based on a look that someone gave me, We didn't even, we hadn't even exchanged words. So this road goes both ways, right, like we have the, we have the responsibility to not do that to people. But also, if you are feeling attacked or unsafe in the conversation, like you don't have to have it. You can, it is not like unloving to set boundaries and not participate. Maybe you are being overly sensitive and you really need to hear what someone is saying. or. Maybe you are, in fact, being emotionally attacked and you need to tell the, part, the other person, I'm, I'm not having this conversation right now, and walk away. It's a judgment call. you got to make it in that moment. There's no tried and true, well, if these three things happen, then this is a safe space and then, of course, I will receive it. Well, maybe you're just having a hard day. Or maybe you're having a great day. And what? No. You have to be self-aware, right? This is part of wisdom. Wisdom is doing the right thing at the right time in the right way. Only through trial and error and growth and wisdom can we know where that line is. Like maybe earlier I should have said, when that person made that face with me, I was like, oh, sorry. Like I didn't mean it, not having this, I don't don't feel comfortable having this conversation right now. That probably would have been way better. Instead I was like, oh no. I had to get out of here. (laughs) Why? Because I was not practicing wisdom. I was practicing self-preservation, and I was scared. We can only know where that line is because we've lived it. And there's a few important things to consider about creating conditions for safety, just like wisdom, right place, right time, right way. So right time. It is not ideal. To share your opinion with someone when an emotionally charged conversation has just happened. Like, sometimes that's the only way we feel courageous enough to say something. We're like, our adrenaline is pumping, and we're like, yeah, it's now or never. Okay, first of all, if it's now or never, choose never. (laughs) Or better yet, go away from the conversation and write your feelings down, and then shelve it for like at least two days, and then go back and read it, and edit it, and then set a time to talk with that person, if it's really that important to you. But if you're feeling hot and your blood is pumping, no, not a good time. I guarantee you, you will say something, and you're like, oops, that may have been too far. (laughs) That person may want to punch me in the face now. (laughs) Okay, so right time. If it's now or never, choose never. Right place. This may be obvious, but I don't personally think it's a great idea to um, give your criticism of someone's choices in front of other people. For most people, this is an unsafe place—not just to like acknowledge that you're right, but to even defend themselves. You like we're just putting ourselves in this situation where we're like, oh no, like well, if I if I speak up, then. Well, then I'm getting in this confrontation with someone that I'm not prepared for and there's other people around. But if I don't speak up, then they're just going to think that it's OK to talk to like just, just don't do it. And then the right way. Like, the most important condition for safety is having the conversation the right way. So respect. These are things that like, we learn in grade school. but We don't really learn them until we've done something disrespectful. And then we're like, oh, no, hmm, interesting. That perhaps was not the best way to go about that. Or perhaps someone has disrespected us, and we're like, hey, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. You find out what it means to me. (laughs) Respect is the wisdom of showing with your words and your body language that the other person is actually worth your attention and your time and your sincere engagement, regardless of your differences. Active listening, where we have to actually, like, try to understand the other person before we are understood. This one's hard for me. I'm always wanting to be like, yeah, I agree with you. No, I don't agree with you. Let me tell you my opinion right now. I have so many things to say. Instead of actually just listening, (laughs) we're already forming our response in our heads. Our little hamster wheel is like, ooh, that was a good statement that other person made. I have like seven points to make about that statement. Here's like a, a cute little phrase you can use. What I hear you saying is, So if someone's like, hey, I don't like blah, 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 you, instead of being like, well, I don't know why you don't like that, because it's, I mean, everybody does it. It's totally fine. Like, I do it. Um, No, instead, don't do that. Instead, take a breath. And then go, what I hear you saying is, it really frustrates you when this happens. Not only will that make the other person feel heard, it will give you a pause before you just go, blah onto someone else. And I do mean that in like the literal vomit sense. Um, I don't feel like that's too harsh. Like I know we don't mean it that way, but like sometimes the words coming out of our mouth smell real bad. They're like acid. They just burn through a conversation and through a relationship because we haven't taken a pause to say, oh, I hear you. I hear what you're trying to say. I may have a completely different perspective than you, but what you're saying is still valuable. Curiosity. This is where you just wonder why, like a two-year-old, again and again and again and again, until you're interested instead of judgmental. I love like children are so pure, it's like super annoying when they're like, but why, but why, but why, but why? Because they actually want to know. They're not trying to irritate you. This is new information. Their brains are like melting with the possibilities. You'd be like, why is the sky blue? Well, because of this. Well. What? (laughs) This is entirely new information that you are giving to me. I have so many more questions. (laughs) And they're curious. They like want to know. Do we really want to know what the other person is saying? So we say, what I hear you saying is, tell me... What I hear you saying is X. Tell me how you arrived at that. What does that mean to you? What's your goal here? Like, what's the ideal outcome? There's so many open-ended questions where someone will be like, well, they really want to know. Like, they're curious. They're not just listening to me to fix my problem or to tell me I'm wrong or to... It takes away some of that anxiety. And then finally, of course, humility. This is the hardest one, I think. This is the wisdom of apologizing when you have hurt someone and are wrong. And of not apologizing when someone has hurt you and you are not wrong. I think I think we can generally accept that, like, if, if we say something, we're like, okay, I'm sorry, I should not have said that. That was harmful. I will work on not just blurting out what I think. But when someone else says something to us, I think it's really hard for us to not always apologize for them. We just... Especially if you're not a confrontational person. We just feel like, well, I'm, you know, I'm sorry this happened, or, you know, I'm sorry, like, I just, we just start apologizing. But what if you're not wrong? What if the other, you don't have to apologize. Say thank you. If someone's like, hey, I'm sorry I said that, and you were a jerk too, then you get to say you're sorry. But if someone just said something to you, and that was really harmful, and like really put you in a terrible place, and then they're like, hey, I'm sorry that was wrong, I shouldn't have said that. Please forgive me. You don't have to be like, I'm sorry too. For what? For what? The band can come back up. (laughs) Yay. I did not tell them the cue. (laughs) So, with that seamless transition, (laughs) this is what you come here for, right? My seamless transitions and to have your eardrums hurt by the microphone. (laughs) We are going to follow the platinum rule. Now, we all know the golden rule, I hope comes from Matthew 7, says, do unto others what you would have them do unto you. Now, the golden rule does have its limits. Like when I have had a hard day, I would like to watch some trash TV and eat snacks and go to bed early. When Nova, my baby, has a hard day, like she needs snuggles, lots of snuggles. When my partner has a hard day, like he wants to go on a walk and be left alone. It would be ridiculous of me to say to my husband, you've had a really hard day. I just want to snuggle you so hard. (laughs) That would not feel loving to him in that moment. It would be ridiculous for me to tell Nova, oh, you had a hard day? Let's watch Kitchen Nightmares and eat brownies. But I'm just doing to others what I want done to me, right? No. (laughs) Here's the platinum rule. Do unto others as I have learned that they want done to them. They might thrive under an environment that would hurt me. This is why true communication is at the heart of what it means to love someone. We love someone well when we understand who that person is, and then we behave according to who they are. We do not love people well when we behave according to who we want them to be or who we assume they are because of who we are. We have to treat people as adults who are responsible for their own choices. What does it mean for a person to live in truth? Like I think we have this fear, like if you grew up evangelical like I did, we have this fear that if we just unhitch truth, from freedom, we'll just have people like running amok in the streets. This the age of the Antichrist will be ushered in. Like people will just be sinning every day, all the time. Like we're not doing that already, first of all. <laughs> freedom is not abstract, right? Freedom is concrete. It's not a thought or a belief, but it's personal and an actual reality that we live and experience. We don't believe in freedom as a mental construct. We live freely. And we act in ways that free others. So when we want to share our opinion with someone, when we want to speak the truth in love, the first question should be, am I feeling free right now? And am I acting in a way that frees another person? There's a deeply influential philosopher named Kierkegaard. Um, I really don't recommend reading his books unless you want to be profoundly bored. I sometimes have to read multiple times and I still don't know what he's talking about. But he said this, the task assigned to us is not to find the lovable person. It's to find the person before you lovable. And to be able to continue finding them lovable no matter how they change. And maybe we need to do that for ourselves too. We are talking about this in small group on Wednesday. Like what, the things we say to ourselves. We can like mentally assent to other people, yes. We don't wanna harm them. What about yourself? What about when you look in the mirror? Do you find yourself lovable? Will you continue to find yourself lovable, no matter how you change? With two more songs. So I invite you to stand as we sing together, and then I will come back and give you a benediction. And the band's going to kill it.